0: First reading today comes from John, chapter 6, and the next one is from Matthew. So what's happened is Jesus has fed 5,000 people, and they've hung around, they've been fed, and they're chasing after Jesus on the other side of the river, and they've just found him again. So they've been fed the day before, but now they're hungry again. Maybe not just for food. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it. And not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then we go to Matthew. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they... And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and and neither where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp, the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, or what you will wear, or or drink, or what's on your body, or what you'll put on. Is this life not more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than them? And which of you being anxious can end a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow They neither toil nor spin Yet I tell you even Solomon In all his glory was not arrayed Like one of these But if God so clothed the grass Of the field Which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven Will he not much more clothe you O oh, you a little faith Therefore don't be anxious Saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink Or what shall we wear For the Gentiles they seek after all these things And your heavenly father, he knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble.
1: Thanks so much and very well read and um, I forgot to look at the script so I just presume now's the time for me to get up. So uh, here we are. It's great. Now uh, I've been sitting for a few minutes to stand and have a stretch. Okay stand up everyone have a stretch and while you do I want you to think of your top one or two memorable loaves of bread that you have so far eaten in your life. So, uh, it's good, we're stretching. Sit down, you can talk to one another over morning tea about that and share that memorable loaf of bread. I asked Gita that question in the car and she reminded me, um, uh, of walking the streets of Paris with Gita and I eating a baguette, you know, they do make good bread over there. Um, but also reminding us for many years our kids grew up with a barber family, Joan and Simon, and you'd go up skiing with them and you just, water sports make you hungry and you come out and there's Jane she's got a bread maker there and the smell of fresh bread pulls it out and you're eating fresh bread and jam and uh, cream and whatnot uh, you know up by the river Murray in the middle of nowhere so um, there were a couple that um, came to mind but the reason I start with that of course is because good things happen around bread don't they that's the whole point of getting together to break bread with people and what happens around bread good things happen around bread but of course the question i think we, we're being asked as we uh, look at this line of the lord's prayer um, give us today our daily bread um, is have you ever prayed for your next loaf of bread have you ever had, wondered wh- where is our next loaf of bread coming from your next meal ever not known where tomorrow's meal was coming from now If, like me, you may have wondered seriously about where your next roll of toilet paper was coming from during the early months of COVID, but um, not bread. Don't know about your supermarket, but down our way, um, the bread section in our supermarkets is now one of the largest sections to walk through. So many are the options. Given the Lord's Prayer is likely the most common prayer we pray, what are we asking God for when we pray, give us today our daily bread? Why on earth did Jesus include this fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer for his first disciples, his Jewish disciples then? And what are Gentile Christians like us? What are we actually praying and asking God for when we pray that prayer today? Well, with over 1,670,000,000 hits on Google when you type in bread, check it out. Um, it seems bread is still a big deal in the world today. It's also a big deal in the Bible. There are hundreds and hundreds of references to bread from beginning to end. Now, many are incidental food references, but I was struck by how many bread references are connected to God and uh, especially his rescue and his relationship with Israel. The way bread is used uh, to catch something of God's purposes for humans and particularly his saved people. So in in sum. The story of bread in the Bible, it tells God's story. How God has determined to save a people, to know him and to enjoy him forever. The story of bread in the Bible is an Exodus story. A story of God saving people out to lead them somewhere else. An Exodus story that is searching for a Sabbath rest ending. I'll briefly explain might uh, know a bit about how the, how the Bible opens with biblical history, God creating everything that we can see and we can't see uh, out of nothing. And how after six days he'd finished all his work, everything was very good. And then there was the seventh day, which he established as the Sabbath day of rest. You've got Adam and Eve there, they're enjoying right relationship with God and each other. Uh, they're there in the garden, um, everything's provided for them, all off the back of God's finished creative work so that this seventh day is without end there in genesis end of one one, start of two it hints that i think the point and the purpose of life is all about this rest day this sabbath day this right relating and rest resting in god's finished work of course for us today it's resting in god's finished work of redemption his new creation work This all, of course, unravels uh, by chapter 3 in the biblical history because of the devil's seductive lies and you've got um, human sinful unbelief front and centre. And so it trashes humanity's relationship with God and with each other and the world, there's fear, there's hiding, there's shame. It brings God's just judgment. And this is how Genesis 3 verse 19 talks about that. God says to them, by the sweat of your face, you shall now eat bread. Till you return to the ground, and for out of it were you taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, ever since humans have been toiling for bread outside of the garden, trying to make a daily existence possible, um, you've got disease, we've got death, we've got the power of evil, we've got desires of the flesh, um, storms. It's, it's all that, that's life. Toiling for bread outside of the garden—they're the realities. So we fast forward in the the Old Testament to Exodus. It's about a uh, a million plus Israelites. They've been in slavery in uh, Egypt for a good number of years. Uh, God raises up Moses and saves or rescues his people out from slavery in Egypt to be his people, bring them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness for decades to himself at Mount Sinai to be his people and eventually uh, into the Promised Land. Psalm 78 is, beautifully summarizes this part of history. And this is what it says about life in the wilderness. God commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. And he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Humans ate the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. Now, here's the thing. On the sixth day of the week, God would provide not just bread for that day, but also for the coming sabbath day of rest that is um on the sixth day of every week for year after year after year god's people would go out and collect manna not just for the sixth day but also for the next day for the sabbath day as god's people remembered the sabbath each week so they were being reminded that god had saved them out of egypt to lead them to his place of rest into the promised land to be his people And, of course, Israel in the promised land is a foretaste uh, of a much better rest that was unpromised. And the most extensive treatment of this is in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. They make it very clear that the rest that Israel experienced in the promised land, even under the glorious years of Solomon, it was but a pattern and a pointer to the greater reality of God's promised so much better exodus and so so much never-ending rest with him in a new heavens and a new earth the story of israel of course ends with the end of the old testament Um, they've been behaving badly for, for so long they've been booted out of the promised land their relationship with god is so fractured and dislocated it's dead they're wondering if god is still there they're wondering if god's promised rescue and rest is still at play and then suddenly enters jesus And we have the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. So that now brings us to bread and the Lord's Prayer. And so with Jesus' arrival um, and the opening of Matthew's Gospel, when he goes public, he announces that the kingdom of heaven is now near. Chapter 4, verse 17. And the Lord's Prayer is just this beautiful 52-word prayer given by Jesus to help us to see things God's way as they really are. As Stephen so helpfully put it last week, That in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, the first of five speeches recorded in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is teaching his disciples about how to relate and how to pray to God authentically. How to be authentic disciples of the kingdom. How to be his children now as we wait for the kingdom to come. There's six petitions, or I call them asks, six asks in the Lord's Prayer. They're like beautiful, um, beautiful sort of thematic threads through the Bible. And they're all come together. They're all in the end about one beautiful big Kingdom of God tapestry that's all about Jesus. It's why Christian Gary Miller writes in his brilliant book on prayer, it's called Calling on the Name of the Lord, a Biblical Theology of Prayer. He says this, All Christian biblical prayer is praying in Jesus' name, asking God to come through on what he's already promised. Asking God to come through on what he's already promised. That's Christian prayer. And as you know, um, you looked at this last week, the Lord's Prayer opens with three God-centered asks, so your. And the last three petitions are human-centered asks, or they're us prayers, aren't they? Praying for God's provision, his pardon and his protection so that authentic followers of Jesus might enter in and share in God's coming new world order. So give us this day our daily bread. There it is, the fourth ask. It's a prayer for God's provision. But are we just praying for a loaf of gluten-free helvers that's out of date? I mean, is that what we're praying for? The original language is intriguing, actually. And thanks, Stephen, for giving me the most uh, written about line in the Lord's Prayer, brother. uh, um, But it's asking our Father to give us today, like literally, bread for the coming day, bread for tomorrow which hopefully you begin to see why I've given you that background um, of the Sabbath day and manner in the desert. Give us this day bread for the coming day. And I think there's two um, areas that, are, that this prayer really lands for us this morning as we understand where it was landing for those first Jewish followers there. First is this, God... Is providing bread for the body. Uh, God is providing bread for the body, uh, bread for the body, as He does everywhere through Scripture, as He did for Israel in the wilderness. It teaches us at least three things. First, about God creating and providing for all that it means to be human. That is, we know that we are dust, but we are so much more. As Isaiah puts it, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. David puts it like this in Psalm 139 as he's praying to God. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Scripture says that people have not just slid off some mass production line, but each One of us is individually handcrafted, mind, body and soul. Which if you think about the times we're living in, the rise of uh, mental ill health, the anxiety um, coming at us for all sorts of reasons. But particularly around our bodies, our images, the dislocation of your body is not really a part of who you truly are. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of conversations going on out there, all sorts of anxieties. This is good news, especially for our young people about being truly human in an anxious age. Because to be human is to be fearfully and wonderfully made by God. God has meant every one of us to be here. We're each handmade by God with dignity, with uniqueness and for a purpose, which is to know and enjoy God forever. Now, in a society where messaging at schools, unis, uh, is little more that, you know, humans are worm food, we're of no more value than a cockroach, um, that this is it. And and so what we find is the sort of unbelieving Gentiles around us behaving increasingly like frantic ants before a rain is coming, you know. They're flat out, they're busy, they're trying to, you know... Um, and so many are anxiously trying to find life in the material, working longer hours, running ourselves silly. At what cost? You know, it's interesting. A lot of the people I've met in Roxby, it's a typical of many mining towns in Australia where BCA has vital ministries. They move there because you can make a lot of money very quickly. If you're willing to do the work, boy, can you make money in a mining town? Um, but at what cost? Of course, they move there to make fast money, thinking that's the answer to happiness, that they can shore up security for tomorrow. And to some degree, they're right. But it's fascinating that some of the most broken people and families you find are actually in these sort of communities. Which is why Jesus goes on to teach in Matthew chapter 6, we heard in our second reading, that children of the kingdom. Followers of Jesus, we are to learn to not be anxious like unbelieving Gentiles. Instead, we're to seek first God's kingdom priorities. We can trust in God's utter goodness and his generosity as our father in heaven to provide for all of our bodily needs. From beginning to end, the the Bible just paints this beautiful picture of a God who's so much more generous that we can know or imagine. From first breath that you take to your last breath and everything in between. Our life, health, food, clothing, work, homes, leisure, our faculties, our friendships. I mean, everything are just beautiful gifts from a very generous God. Which brings me just to lastly briefly comment about what it means for us to be authentic Christian community. As we be wholly human, mind, body and soul, and love our neighbour mind body and soul a key way God provides for those less fortunate of course is when authentic Christians and Christian communities imitate our father in heaven imitate his undeserved mercy his extravagant generosity which is why James writes that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father everything we have is gifts but how easy we can slip into that mindset that, well, no, I've worked for it, I've earned it, or it's mine, mine, mine. You know, I grew it, it's mine, it's my money. And, and, and when we don't get it or something happens like a storm, you know, we get angry as if somehow our rights have been crossed. But what rights? It's all gift, it's all gift. And so... I think there's an encouragement here for us to be sober-minded in our prayers, to pray especially that we might grow in our thankfulness towards God. That's the worship God wants from us, is hearts and minds overflowing with thankfulness to God for every good gift in creation, but especially the gift of his Son in redemption. And with that thankfulness, we develop hearts of generosity that look out, and practice mercy, practice hospitality with those less fortunate than ourselves or, or those that are in need. Loved how, I mean, I just found out this second hand, you know, the Ermsons worked out they had a pretty big place they were living in despite having three kids and whenever Beth needs to come down from Roxby, they've got kids with, you know, various needs and stuff, um, they, they put them up, whatever's going on, they just put them up, yeah, you can stay here. It's just beautiful. But here's what, again, reminding us of some of those words that Jesus says at towards the end of Matthew 6 therefore I tell you don't be anxious about your life what you'll eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing we know it is but is that how we live and so Jesus says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you well, it brings us, I think, to the second and I think more significant um, and not unrelated way that Jesus uses bread as a symbol of God's salvation in the rest of Matthew's Gospel and as we heard in that reading from John's Gospel as well. It helps us to see that the daily bread that we need for the coming day is so much more than a loaf of Helga's. So Jesus and the bread we need to enter God's kingdom rest with him. And I think there's at least uh, three symbolic uses of bread here in Matthew. I've called word bread, banquet bread and also, um, there you go, what is my last point? How can I forget? Salvation's bread. So word bread. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, I think I've got it behind me. um, This is what happens when Jesus goes and uh, fasts in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Of course, providing bread in the midst of the desert recalls God's own provision of manna to the people of Israel in the desert, which I talked about earlier. Jesus quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He, to first explain that the key reason God set it up for Israel in the desert, giving them manna every day that they had to go and collect, was to teach them that if you're a human being, you don't live by bread alone. But more importantly, it's the bread of God's word that comes out of his mouth that we have here, of course, in the scriptures. And in so doing, God was training his people to know him, that he really could be trusted, that he is so much gooder, so much more steadfast, loving and faithful. He's rock solid. We can trust God to provide. In refusing the devil's temptation, Jesus is showing his trusting dependence on God, that he would be directed by the word of God, reveal himself to be the obedient son of God, qualified to go to the cross, the sinless for the sinful, for our salvation. He stuck to God's word. And what's the application of this for us? Well, I've already said that the most extensive treatment of how we are to be striving to enter God's rest is in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. And this is how these two chapters finish. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Because only God's word can lead God's people to enter and to share in this beautiful, never-ending rest in the new heavens and earth. Brings us to uh, banquet bread, word bread to banquet bread, twice um, in Matthew, as we heard in John 6, but twice in Matthew, uh, Jesus is with first 5,000 people, then 4,000 people in, in, a, in a desert place. They're hungry and he feeds them from a few loaves, few fish. The superabundance of Jesus' provision, with baskets of leftovers collected after everyone had eaten them, reveals not only Jesus' identity as the Emmanuel, as God with his people, but of course, reveals something of the so much better exodus and Sabbath rest that he's come to bring people to. He's there to show them He's fulfilling scriptures, um, like Isaiah 25, that talk about that end time uh, fellowship with God as a feast on God's mountain. And I've got it behind me again, I think. Simply, we notice that God is the one doing all the work here. <laughs> but you notice that, again, bread, food, it's a metaphor uh, that points to what we really need dealt with, of course, is the reality of death. And hence, the penalty of our sin. And again, that beautiful invitation. Using food and bread as a metaphor from Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money? For that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Can we see that Jesus is teaching um, Israelites there in the wilderness in Matthew to pray give us this daily this bread for the coming day it's really just another way of jesus teaching his disciples to pray for god's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven that we might enter in and know this phenomenal uh, end time rest and fellowship with god that is in jesus the kingdom of heaven is near so please may we be given what we need to be given in order to enter in and share in its blessing for this day. Please give us this day to get through this day so we can arrive to that day. And that brings us to, of course, Salvation's bread, that beautiful um, uh, meal, uh, the Passover meal that Jesus said he longed to eat with his disciples. Jesus again using the bread of the Passover meal. But this time, as has happened for thousands of years, not not, not to look back at the exodus that was out of Egypt, but actually to help his followers to look forward to how Jesus coming, suffering and death on his cross was him giving his body as the new Passover lamb to save us from what we really need saving from. Not some political salvation, But the power of sin in our lives, the penalty of God's judgment after death, the power of evil, the fear of death. These are the things that tear at life. We know that. Both in the old and the new, God teaches his people that the bread that we most need each day is more than a loaf of helpers. It's the spiritual bread of God's word to help us endure to the end. And be saved. Because that's what Jesus promised. Matthew 10.22 Is it any wonder that the new nascent church opens with people getting saved. And their inclination to get together. To break bread. To eat together. Good things happen around bread. And for God's saved people. We should be always looking to get together to express our reconciled fellowship. To express our shared mission together our shared prayers our shared god's shared purpose for his people together as we get together around food and so we finish with two simple applications more pray more pray what would it look like us to do an re and just to stop in the middle of things numerous times a day and just to pray to give thanks to pray for the gospel bread that we need This day for the coming day. I'm sure you've long enough to know the normal Christian life is about enduring in a world that is against God and his people. It's why Paul reminds his son in the faith, Timothy, about what we as Christians should expect is the norm as Christians. For anyone here this morning who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to be hammered you're going to be persecuted you're going to have really really tough seasons the day that is coming that most matters of course is that day after we die and we find ourselves standing before jesus and we hear well done good and faithful servant or away from me i never knew you the day that we most need god's provision for is this day Not just the bread that sustains the body. But that word from God that can cut me to the heart. Can deal with my pride. My crustiness. My malaise. That instructs me to go to my neighbour and forgive them. To forgive my enemy who's wronged me. To be about the father's business. A word that helps me this day to resist, to be able to see clearly, to see and to resist the lies, the deceptions, the seductive allures of the devil, of the world, of my own flesh. To stand firm and stay strong in Jesus. That we might endure to the end and be saved together. Friends, this is our core business. It's why the second half of the Lord prayer, those three asks, are all linked by a little word, and. Give us that daily bread, and. And. This is the bread we need. And so, let us not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give. The bread that has come down from heaven. And Jesus' promise, whoever feeds on this bread, puts their faith and trust in Jesus will live forever. Good things happen around bread. I want to encourage any of you, if you are at odds with anyone, if you're aware of something in your own heart and mind, you need to go and reconcile with them. Make that your core business this week. Go and break a loaf of bread with them. Be about the Father's business. But I want to encourage you, as Stephen already has, to be serious about praying for the gospel-bred invitation that so many people around us need, near and far. People who are anxious, living in a cul-de-sac, doing burnouts, trying to find life without God. That invitation to come, 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 four times in Isaiah 55, to come, come, Come to Jesus. Doesn't he's, he's done it all. Come and know rest off the back of God's saving work in Jesus that is finished. To listen to him. To find life in him. I was sitting uh, at the Roxby Pub a couple of weeks ago up with the team and sitting around the table with some of the people from the Roxby Church breaking bread with them, as you do. And uh, next to me was Gemma. She's a young mum. And... Um, she had three little kids, under five there, milling about, new baby. And uh, I said, oh, how did you come, you know, to Roxby? She says, oh, I don't want to be here. I'm here because of my husband, Loki. <laughs> he works here. And she says, oh, but how did you come to be part of the church? She said, oh, well, actually, 18 months ago. Um, I mean, I wasn't a Christian. I haven't grown up in the church at all. But I just came away. I was, I was really anxious and getting increasingly anxious, like really anxious, agitated. Anyway, every morning I take my kids to the uh, Roxby Hub and, um, you know, there's a they can play in there and stuff and then I bumped into this lady Beth and and Beth's married to Glenn and and um and I sort of she asked how it was all going and I I shared that you know I was really feeling anxious and stuff things weren't going great anyway Beth who who, she said well you know it's weird but I never come in here I don't even know why I came in here today but here I am I'm talking to you she invited Gemma to come to her church Roxby Downs Community Church Jemma has a sink she goes home, says to Loki Loki, we go on to church this Sunday Got that Roxby Downs community Church. Now Loki grew up in South Africa as a kid used to go to church hadn 't been since he's been in Australia. so when they walk in Loki Gemma, the, the young kids, and they're immediately welcomed they're loved and Gemma says, but even by the end of that first Sunday she began to just Notice this this, piece, this she wasn't as anxious and the warmth, the, the, the community there and, and the message she heard from the guy up front, Glenn. Anyway, keeps going back. She starts meeting up with Beth, reads the Bible and then she becomes a Christian. And as she's telling her story, this sort of this big smile getting bigger and bigger on her face. Um, and she just shares how good it is knowing Jesus, knowing that whatever happens... He's got her. She's saved and safe. That whatever happens, Jesus has got her kids, got her family. That she's no longer anxious about the future, knowing that Jesus really is in charge. He's in control. That everything that matters about tomorrow, he's taken care of. And now her and Lockie run one of the two home groups in their house. And B is coming along, who Gemma met, a young mum. And she's now learning about Jesus off of Gemma. Inviting people to come. Surely that's the why of this church. I've heard it is. I see it is. It's the why of Trinity Modbury, the why you've sent out Grove, the why you've sent out Paraka, Campbelltown and hopefully many more. But it's also the why, has been the why for over 104 years of BCA. And my hope and prayer is there may be many, many more Gemmas Many more yum cheese here at Modbury and obviously further afield as well. Let me finish by praying for you. Merciful Heavenly Father, thank you so much, well, for the rain that we can hear falling. Thank you that we can meet here safe, without fear of persecution, gathered around your word, clothes on our back, food in our bellies. We've got so much to be thankful for, Lord. But Father, at this moment, I want want to give thanks for your grace here, in and through your people here, that they would grow more and more um, the goodness of your word for their life and that through them, as they pray more for the bread that they need and that the world needs, I pray that you would use them to keep seeing countless thousands come to know Jesus. Thank you for the shared mission, the shared fellowship we share in the gospel. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.